Before we uh, get into the passage today, uh, in his prayer, Pastor Chuck mentioned our members meeting this past week that we had. It was a wonderful time. Had uh, six new members that were uh, recommended and joined our church. And then we also spent a large part of our meeting talking about the building project. And on the black table, the info table at the back, uh, there are these. If you missed the members meeting, just a little uh, brochure that, that kind of walks through some of the issues or some of the outline of, of our building program. So we'd encourage you to grab one of those. We've had, had a Q&A last uh, yesterday, yesterday morning for that, and then have two more scheduled. Uh, you can find those on the calendar, uh, the church calendar. So we're continuing on in our study of the book of First Timothy, and we're in chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 of that letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend Timothy. If you need a Bible, you can grab one of the chair Bibles under the seat in front of you. And it's on page 576, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we're in a section of 1 Timothy where God gives instructions to one particular church about how all churches should function. And with the intention there is, as Paul's giving instructions to that one church, is that those instructions are meant for every church everywhere at all times. So in other words, God is speaking to us through this passage that was written 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to us here in Timbe, Arizona in 2023. So last week we saw that there are two offices in the church as we heard God's teaching from Pastor Chuck on elders. This week we'll look at the second office, that of deacons. So an outline of where we're gonna be today, we'll start by looking at uh, the, the one piece of this passage that is slightly controversial, uh, it's a judgment call that needs to be made. Uh, second, we'll look at what deacons do. Then third, we'll look at the character or the heart of a deacon. And then finally, we'll end with the purpose of deacons. So we'll get existential and see what is the purpose. Why do they even exist? So last week, Pastor Chuck started with a brief discussion of authority, if you'll remember that. We saw that elders are tasked with leading the church through and by the God-given authority that comes with that office, that office of, of elder. This week we're starting not with authority, but with service. And why is that? Well, because just as the elders are the ones who lead the church, deacons are the, the office of the church who serve the church. And how do we know that deacons are meant to serve? Well, because that's what the word means. Say, let's get it out of the way. Uh, deacon is a funny word, isn't it? Say it out loud, deacon. It just seems, well, maybe, maybe it's just me. I hear some, see some faces uh, shaking your head. No, I think it's funny. I think it's a weird word, deacon. So how do we end up with such an odd word, such an odd pronunciation? Well, diakonos is the Greek word that's translated deacon. And we took, uh, and diakonos means servant. And we took that same uh, type of word, same a type of meaning over to English. So diakonos to deacon. So sometimes diakonos is translated in our Bibles as deacon when it's referring to the office of the church. But most of the time in our Bibles, it's translated as servant. So here's some examples of that. Mar uh, Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your diakonos. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then Mar Mark 9:35. And Jesus said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and diakonos of all. 
And then John 12, 26. If anyone diakonos me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my diakonos be also. If anyone diakonos me, the Father will honor him. Then Mark 10, 45. Jesus is the suffering servant who came not to be diakonos, but to diakonos, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So clearly at the very heart of being a deacon is service. Deacons are servants. And our passage for today uses the word diakonos in an office way, in a more technical, a more official way. So listen now to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And we read, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, a lot for us to unpack here uh, today, but mainly we can see that deacons are called to be Christians of good character. In other words, deacons are Christians who live like Christians. But before we get into some of the character qualities of the deacons, I do want to address the, the judgment call in this passage. It's, it's really not very controversial. Uh, there's nothing here that rises to the, to the level of threatening the gospel. There's nothing in this passage that... Uh, would say that if you believe opposite of what we at Churchill Mill believe, that you would be, we'd be questioning your salvation. So it's not like this huge issue, but it is a judgment call. It is something we have to deal with, and it's in verse 11. So if we read verse 11 again, most translations read, their wives, likewise, another way to translate it is, likewise women must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful, in all things. So, straight to the point, the question regards the translation of one Greek word. Now, many of your translations, as I said, say their wives likewise, some say likewise women must be. And that one Greek word, euvixis, can be translated either way. It can be translated as wives or as women. It just depends on the context of the passage that you make that decision. And that leads to the question then of whether women can be deacons. Now, we heard the last couple of weeks that Scripture very clearly indicates that elders are to be men, primarily because of the teaching ministry and the authority that travels along with that. But deacons are servants, and no one questions whether women are able to serve. Some of the best, uh, some of those who serve our church the best are undoubtedly women. Amen? Agree with that? So, does the Bible advocate for women to be deacons? Does the Bible prohibit women from being deacons? That's the question. So at Church on Mill, we believe God's word affirms and calls for both male and female deacons. We believe that verse 11 is most rightly translated, likewise women must be. And here's why. So I'm going to start with a couple of the minor reasons uh, first, and then I'll, I'll give the, the major reason at the end, but a couple of the minor reasons. First, if you glance back up at the paragraph, before the passage we just read, that about elders in verses one through seven, we see the description of the character qualities of those who are occupying that first office in the church, that of elders. 
Then verse eight begins with the words, look at verse eight, deacons likewise, indicating that Paul's moving on in his argument, transitioning from elders to the character qualities of the second office of the church, that of deacons. So in verse eight, he begins to lay out those character qualities, beginning with what's the first character quality in verse eight? Dignified, dignified. So then look at verse 11. There's that word again, likewise. And how the first character quality in verse 11 is what? It's also dignified, indicating that Paul is continuing to talk about the office of deacon, but just in this case, talking about women deacons or deaconesses. That's a minor point or a minor reason why we would believe that this should be translated likewise women. Uh, But the second minor reason is that if you think that Paul is talking about deacons' wives, if you think that's how you should translate verse 11, then you have to grapple with the oddity that Paul would talk about elders in verses one through seven, not say one word about elders' wives, and then beginning in verse eight, talk about deacons, and then talk about deacons' wives. Now that is is a really odd thing, and I, I just think that Paul is much more organized in his thinking than to organize his passage that way or this this. Uh, letter this way. So there's a few other minor reasons to conclude that it should be translated likewise women must be, but the most significant reason relates to the context of this entire passage. So this whole section of 1 Timothy has been about how a church ought to function. And a major part of Paul's teaching relates to authority. If you think back to uh, where he spoke of the roles of men and women in chapter two, verses eight through 15, and how teaching and authority in the church comes from uh, qualified, godly elders. So whereas scripture does call for men to be elders, and whereas we can see that the teaching office of elder prescribes some authority over the church, as Pastor Chuck mentioned last week, there's not anything in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, or anywhere else in scripture that prohibits a woman from serving and loving the church in the manner that deacons serve and love the church. In other words, women can serve as deacons and not violate any command because the office of deacon is not one of authority. The office of deacon is not one of teaching. The office of deacon is one of service. And we don't wanna prohibit because of gender what someone is faithfully and scripturally able to do. We don't wanna prohibit because of gender what someone is scripturally and faithfully able to do. So therefore, Churchill Mill has in our bylaws and in our practice male and female deacons. Now, happy to discuss that further with anyone who would like to. Uh, We also, uh, several years ago, wrote a position paper, a theological position paper. It's on our church website. There's also some copies on the info table at the back if you wanna look a little bit more deeper into uh, this topic of deacons in general. Uh, those are available at, the, at that back table for you if you'd like to, or on our website, like I said. All right, so that's, that's the biggest controversial issue in the passage. And again, not very controversial. If somebody believes differently about that issue, it's not rising to the level of threatening the gospel. It's not a question of their salvation. So, but it is a judgment call. So that answers that, at least from what Church on Mill believes, what we believe here. But what are deacons? And where do they come from? Well, to answer that question, we really need to go back to when deacons were first established. They're first introduced into the church. 
So in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing about deacons and elders to some of the earliest churches. But we need to go back even further than that, teaching about the very first church. So hold your place in 1 Timothy 3, a dog ear your Bible, uh, bookmark it on your phone, turn back to Acts chapter 6. And if you're looking on the chair Bibles, that's on page 533. So page 533, Acts chapter 6. And we're just, just going to read the first six verses of that. And we read, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, and when you see the word Hellenists, think about Gentiles, a complaint by the Gentiles arose against the Hebrews, think about Jews, Gentiles, Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, meaning the twelve apostles, the leaders of the early church, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permeneus, and Nicholas, a proselyte, of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So very briefly, we see that the early church in Jerusalem has formed and it's been rapid growth. Uh, if you remember back in Acts, Jesus had ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came and lots and lots of people were being transformed by the power of the gospel. God's word was transforming people transferring people from the kingdom of this world into God's kingdom. And as is often with the case with great growth came great difficulties. There's logistical issues as an entity grows. There's, there's certainly sin issues, sinful people. There's molding people from different backgrounds, different experiences, all into one body. There's jealousy, there's strife, there's all sorts of issues that were demanding the attention of those early apostles, those early church leaders. Issues that took away from their time to preach and to pray. So led by the Holy Spirit, they devised a plan. The first church in Acts, as we said, was Acts 6, was comprised of Gentiles and Jews from converts who had converted to Christianity, who had come from the surrounding Mediterranean area. And that was unfortunately creating conflict. You know, if it weren't for people, the church would be perfect, right? And I include myself in that. Uh, we are sinful people. We sin in a variety of ways. And here, there was ethnic and cultural jealousies, prejudices of all kinds. So I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I just can't relate to ethnic and cultural difficulties. Uh, I know it's hard not to look down your nose at those primitives from 2,000 years ago that didn't know any better, and you think, you know, we've got it all figured out. We don't have those issues today. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. It's a little bit uncomfortable saying that. Of course we've got ethnic and cultural difficulties. Uh, that is always going to be the case until Jesus returns. We are always going to have problems of sin and strife and jealousy and racism and all those things until Jesus returns and makes everything right. And we can certainly pray uh, for that in our experience. So 
But that's just the backdrop. That's just what was happening in Acts 6, 2,000 years ago. All of these issues of melding people together from different cultures and different areas. So they were taking care of the widows in the church as they were tasked and asked to do. And the Gentiles, the Hellenists in this passage, were complaining that the Jews, that uh, their converts to Christianity, that the, the Gentile converts to Christianity were complaining that the Jewish converts to Christianity were favoring the Jewish converts, that they were giving cuts in line to those widows and saying the Gentile converts needed to wait at the back of the line and be served last. Now we don't know for sure whether that was happening, but that's uh, what the issue was. So as is often the case, these kinds of conflicts were taking, uh, take tremendous amounts of, of time, tremendous amounts of energy to resolve peaceably, to resolve wisely. And so, led by the Holy Spirit, the early church leaders tasked the whole church with affirming seven who would take on the task of, of resolving this problem, of serving this need of the early church. Now, you won't find the word deacon in this passage. Remember, this is the very first church. There are apostles, not elders, in the church. So the leaders of the church for the apostles, these were proto-deacons is the term that is often used. Uh, just about everybody, every Bible scholar, every uh, learned person of scriptures would say that these were the first deacons. This was the first they, 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 set the, they were the prototype. They set the example of what deacons are to be today. So these first seven were given the vitally important task of serving the needs of the church so that the church could stay unified and so that the leaders could do the main task that they were called to do, to pray and to preach. So this, this is so like God, isn't it? He gives us something beautiful, his bride, his church. We mess it up with our sin and so he doesn't give up on us. Instead, he gives us a way and a means to continue to evangelize, to continue to disciple, to continue to take care of needs. In this case, he gave us servants. He gave the early church deacons, those that could serve and care for the needs within the early church. So praise God for his good gift of deacons. So we've seen a little, about, a little bit about what deacons are called to do. They're called to meet needs, and guard the unity of the church. They're called to meet needs, they're called to guard the unity of the church. Back to our passage in 1 Timothy 3. So turn back to 1 Timothy 3. And if you glance back over those six verses, what do you see in those six verses? Well, if, we're, if we think about it, we take a moment to examine the text and, and think about what's going on here, we see several marks, characteristics, qualities of a deacon. We see the heart of a deacon, and we'll talk about those characteristics in just a moment. But first, notice two things about these deacon qualities. First, these are all issues of character, and apparently character matters. There's not anything mentioned in these six verses that would be labeled as a skill, or as a talent, or as a personality trait that one might be born with. So we're not talking about deacons who need to be successful businessmen or women. Or women. We're not talking about deacons who need to have a proven track record of, of being gifted speakers or that need to be mechanically inclined and, and able to fix anything that's broken. Deacons don't have to have the gift of teaching. They don't have to have the gift of gab. They don't have to have the ability to own a room with their personality. 
But deacons do need to be of good character. Character matters. Now, that's not to say that deacons have no skills. If you, if you were here last week, uh, you heard Pastor Chuck teach on elders, and I, my main takeaway from that sermon was that he has no skills. <laughs> you heard him say that, right? I'm not the only one. Thanks for confirming that. So, he may have no skills. Deacons have no skills. That doesn't mean that deacons have no skills. God's not dogging on our deacons, right? He's just saying that deacons are not required to have a specific skill. They don't have to have specific skills in order to be a deacon. The second thing that I want us to notice is that these characteristics in verses 8 through 13 are all qualities that a Christian should have. These aren't super Christians. So a deacon is an ordinary Christian who is called to a specific office of the church. So we ought to be a church full of people who are qualified to be deacons because of their good character. The next time we're looking to nominate a deacon, wouldn't it be wonderful if every member of our church exhibited every single one of these qualities, right? We have a lot of people that serve in our church. In fact, most people serve in our church. Um, Most of you have qualities like this, but I think that everybody would agree, you'd want to be known as dignified. You'd want to be known as honest, as good with money. We could go on and on down the list. These are things that you would want for yourself. You'd want for your son or daughter. You'd want your son or daughter to marry somebody with qualities and characteristics like this. So we'd want to be marked by these character qualities, and we want the people around us to be marked by these character qualities as well. So, are you marked by these character qualities? And if not, why not? What's keeping you from exhibiting these character qualities. As we talk briefly about each of these in a moment, these these godly characteristics of a deacon, keep in mind these are just ordinary godly characteristics of an ordinary godly Christian. And if there is one area in your life, or more than one, if you're a believer in Christ, then I would encourage you, be thinking about that, write that down, go talk to somebody around you, ask them to help you to work on these things so that you might have that godly character. God will give it to us as we submit ourselves to him. So, verse eight, if you look at verse eight, it starts again with deacons likewise. So, just like elders aren't super Christians, deacons aren't either. They should be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So first, deacons should be dignified meaning they should be worthy of respect. They should live their, lives, live their lives in such a way that respect is the natural way to think about that person. Second, deacons shouldn't be double-tongued, meaning that a deacon should be sincere in their speech. Have you ever been around someone that says one thing but means another? Or that says one thing to Joe and then a totally different thing to Sally? You ever been around somebody like that? Deacons aren't like that. Deacons are sincere and honest in their speech. Third, deacons aren't addicted to much wine. So I think that's obvious. uh, But a deacon should be in control, should be disciplined, must not be prone to drinking too much. A deacon's not an active alcoholic and not teetering on the edge of drinking too much. Fourth, deacons are not greedy for dishonest gain meaning that a deacon isn't ruled by the pursuit of money. 
we think about that, someone who seeks after dishonest gain is likely someone who is ruled by money. It rules their life. Money or possessions or security through wealth or the pursuit of a life of ease can easily become idols. Greed isn't the way of a deacon. Dishonest gain isn't the way of a deacon. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9 reads, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So what's that mean? What's the mystery here? Well, the mystery is the power of the gospel. The mystery is that God saves. The mystery is that God forgives sins, that God is able to save someone. Now, a deacon doesn't have to have the skills to teach. That's not a requirement, but they must have an informed belief. They must know and understand the power of the gospel. They must know and understand the power of the gospel. And as to a clear conscience, that just means that a deacon can look himself in the mirror and know that what he says is matched by how he lives his life. A deacon lives his faith. Belief isn't just skin deep. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience means that the belief penetrates down to the very core, to the very center of our being, and that that sincerely held belief impacts and changes a person's life. So moving forward to verse 10, it says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So did you know that there would be tests? So what kinds of tests is Paul talking about? Is he referring to feats of strength? Is he referring to Bible trivia? Do the deacons have to be able to win an arm wrestling contest or, or know all the trivia in the Bible? No, that's not what he's talking about. What's most likely being referred to is that a deacon shouldn't be new to the faith. So in order to know whether someone is greedy for dishonest gain or dignified or any of the other qualities, you have to have time to observe their life. So a deacon must be tested as to the reputation and character. And if a deacon passes that indeterminate, uh, not written test of time, then they're qualified. And as to blameless, we know that Christians aren't perfect. Jesus is the only perfect and holy and righteous one. A, a blameless person holding the office of deacon didn't die for our sins, only the Son of God did that. So blameless here must mean that the deacon has no ongoing and unrepentant sin. Everybody sins, but Christians repent. And mature Christians are increasingly showing themselves to be more and more transformed by the gospel. And as we mentioned before, as we already spoke briefly about verse 11, it highlights a few of the character qualities that uh, maybe you're suppo uh, supposed to specifically look for in women deacons, and it starts again with dignified. Women deacons are to be honorable, but to that we add the words not slanderers, sober-minded, and faithful. So we saw not double-tongued earlier, and we said that that referred to being sincere in speech. So slander addresses a similar aspect, that of speaking poorly about others. I think we've all met someone who exaggerates the flaws of somebody else to make themselves look good, or somebody who shares uh, a truth spoken in private in a public way, maybe even as a, a prayer request, somebody who says, would you please pray for Sister Sally, who shared with me this scandalous sin in private last week. Would you please pray for her? So, slanderers are gossips. They're busybodies. They have a loose tongue, they speak out of turn. 
They don't keep confidences. They're not trustworthy. Deacons aren't slanderers. And further in verse 11, we see sober-minded, meaning that the individual is clear of thought, someone who generally makes decisions well, who isn't constantly given over to conspiracy, conspiracy theories, someone who has a measure of wisdom in how she lives her life and in how she's able to speak well into the lives of others. And then finally, faithful in all things in verse 11. Faithful isn't synonymous with perfect. It's not perfection. But a faithful person is one who's generally able to keep on the scriptural path toward heaven. Someone who isn't going to be rocked constantly by the tragedies and difficulties of life. So yes, someone may lose their footing for a little bit, but they're not constantly going to be yo-yoing through life based on the tragedies or the difficulties of the day or the season. A faithful person stays tethered to the God who has saved her and stays secure in the truth of Scripture no matter the triumphs and tragedies of life. And being faithful in all things means that her faith permeates every aspect of her life. And then verse 12 takes us to matters of the home. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So here we see God commanding that those who are to hold the office of deacon must manage their homes well. So several important principles here, not just for the deacon, but for all of us. So if we think about this carefully, we take our cues from the original language that Paul was using, we see that the concern is that a male deacon be a one-woman man. And the corollary that's not mentioned here is that a female deacon be a one-man woman. In other words, if a deacon is married, and there's not a command for a deacon to be married, but if a deacon is married, that deacon has eyes only for their spouse. Now, this isn't a, a sermon on marriage. There's lots of passages that go into that much more fully than this, but every good and biblical marriage has one man and one woman. So a deacon's first priority after his relationship with God is to his spouse. No other person, no other relationship should get in between a deacon and his spouse. Likewise, if a deacon has children, the children in the general household should be managed well. Now, does managed well mean or imply that a deacon must have children who are saved, who are Christians? Well, we know that it's only God who saves, right? We can't save ourselves. We can't save our children. We can't make them right with God. Only God can do that. So managing children and household well can't possibly mean that a deacon must have children who are saved, who have been transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of of heaven. But it must mean that the children must not be running amok. So commensurate with their developmental stage, they must understand and obey authority. The household of a deacon must not be a distraction to or a detriment to the believers and the non-believers who are interacting with them. How can you trust a deacon who has difficulty, how can you trust a servant who has difficulty serving their own family? Well, that's the point of that verse. So those are the character qualities that a deacon must have. So if we put all of this together, a deacon must be worthy of respect, must be truthful, honest, moderate and disciplined, knowledgeable of the gospel, a tried and tested believer, trustworthy in speech, clear in thought, faithful to the Lord, committed to their spouse if they have one, and faithful to raise their children in the Lord. Now the only way 
that a Christian, the only way anybody can do that is through the power of God, right? We cannot do that on our own and our own strength. That is a work of God to create those character qualities within us. And if you're a believer in Christ, that is what God wants to create and make in you. So again, wouldn't we all hope to be like that? Wouldn't we all hope to be described that way? If you have kids, wouldn't you want your kids to be like that? For them to marry somebody like that? Now, these aren't super Christians. This is the ordinary call to ordinary people to live an ordinary Christian life. And so whether you're a deacon or not, again, the question is, do you exhibit that type of character in your life? My challenge to you again is to pick one or two in this that you think maybe you need to shore up. These are areas that maybe you, you don't quite meet uh, that qualification or that character quality. Find somebody around you in your gospel communities, in your small groups, someone sitting next to you. Share that with them. Ask them to give you feedback. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to help you to, to develop that good and godly character. Now, we've talked about what deacons are and about character qualities of deacons. We've talked about uh, that they guard the unity of the, unity of the church and that they meet needs. We've talked about the character, the heart of a deacon but why do we have them in the first place? And what's their motivation? What's the purpose? So we touched on this briefly at the very beginning when we read the passage from Acts. Ultimately, their motivation lies in honoring the Lord, in lifting up the church, in serving the church, in guarding the unity of the church. So if we pull all of this teaching together, we see that deacons are men and women of godly character who serve the needs of the church family. Deacons are men and women of godly character who serve the needs of the church family. So when we see a need in the early church in Acts, those proto-deacons, those early deacons are called to meet those needs according to the word of God and through the encouragement of their godly character. Now I've heard several pastors, several authors refer to deacons over the years as shock absorbers. And I, I didn't really care for that at first, but I think it's, it's a good analogy. So bear with me on this. Um, Every vehicle has these gizmos called shock absorbers, if you don't know, so that when you go over the pothole in the road or the rough road, it absorbs the shock so that your head doesn't hit the ceiling, doesn't hit the roof of the car, so that your back and your neck are not strained. Well, in a similar manner, deacons absorb the shock of growing ministries. They smooth over the rough edges. They allow ministry to flow more smoothly. They either resolve problems or they prevent problems from occurring. They allow the elders to do the main task that God's called them to do, to pray and to preach the word. And it's one of the great things, God is so wise, it's one of the great things about scripture that God has commanded that, that churches should have deacons, but God hasn't commanded how every deacon body is to be structured. In other words, God has cookie-cutter churches to the extent that he commands that we should have, every church should have elders, every church should have deacons. But God doesn't have cookie-cutter churches that say deacons have to be utilized or have to be structured in exactly the same way. Now that's really helpful and really wise because the needs of each church are specific depending on their culture, depending on the time of the season, what year you're in, 
depending on the makeup of the people in that church. So our church here in Tempe, Arizona in 2023 has deacons that are structured a certain way. That may not be the case 50 years from now. It wasn't the case 50 years ago. It's probably not the case for gospel-believing churches in India or in some other place in the U.S. So God is very wise in saying, you should have deacons, but he leaves it kind of open-ended as to how they are to serve the church. So that begs the question, how do our deacons help to allow ministry to flow more smoothly so that our elders can devote themselves to praying, to preaching and teaching? Well, in our church family, our deacons serve specific ministry areas, and they, they all have a team of people or people that they can call on, uh, and they train, they equip, they encourage that, those groups of volunteers within their specific deacon ministry area. So um, I called these out in the first service, and just about every deacon was in our 930 gathering. So I don't think there's any deacons in here. Uh, so just imagine that they're sitting here embarrassed that I'm talking about them. So specifically, Tanyan and Lindsay Berry serve as deacons in the area of corporate worship. They serve all of our audiovisual needs on Sunday mornings. So from the sound system to instruments uh, to the podcast to YouTube, all of those things, they help, our, they help us worship unhindered on Sunday mornings. David Brown serves as our deacon of properties. Uh, we have 11 buildings on this property, a vast property. Uh, he helps repair and clean all of our buildings. Katie DeVoe serves as deacon of children's ministry. She serves to love our children and our families well so that our parents can serve as the primary disciple makers of their kids. Allison Fisher serves as our deacon of family ministry and volunteer recruitment. Uh, it takes uh, a ton of people to serve uh, all of the needs on Sundays of our preschoolers, our children, and our youth. And she organizes all those volunteers on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings. Tim Fisher serves as our deacon of youth ministry. Tim helps to organize events and ensure that, ensures that our kids are receiving gospel teaching on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, and whenever they meet. Dan Corey serves as our deacon of financials. He and his, he, he and his team count and deposit our financial offerings. So our financial transparency and accountability is vitally important, and he and his team are trustworthy to do that. Megan Roberts serves as deacon of preschool ministry. Our kids, are again, are of utmost importance. So Megan helps to create safe spaces where our kids can hear the gospel and learn and grow. Nolan Rose serves as deacon of ordinances. He prepares the elements of the Lord's Supper. He prepares the baptistry whenever we have a baptism. And we've had a lot of those, praise God, uh, this past year. Stephen Shelton serves as our deacon of benevolence. He works with the elders to help assess and respond to requests of financial aid from our members. And he also helps in making sure that all of our church members can be financially uh, good stewards of what God has blessed them with. And then finally, Katina Skinner serves as our deacon of women's discipleship and mentoring. Katina serves by equipping our women to look first to the word and then also to our church family for the godly wisdom to walk through life. Again, each of these serve and train and equip volunteers on their teams. So deacons encourage unity by serving the needs of our church family. And aren't you grateful for our deacons? Now, they're not here, but let's give them a hand. And let me encourage you to thank a deacon today. 
somebody you see out on the patio later uh, who's one of our deacons, thank them for serving or call them up or send them a note, an email this week and, and encourage them and thank them for their service to us. And if you are a deacon, I hope that uh, they would be encouraged by this last verse in our passage. Verse 13 says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So for the deacons, the encouragement is that they'll be rewarded in heaven for their deaconing. But for now, as they serve well, they gain an excellent standing among the church family. That's why we thank them. So without them, our unity would be threatened. There'd be much more chaos, uh, much more difficulty, much more fracturing in our midst. Our, our word ministry would suffer as our elders have to give more and more time to practical needs and they wouldn't have the time uh, to preach and teach and prepare and seek the Lord for the vision of the church. All in all, Church on Mill would be a worse place without these who are in this office of deacon. They gain a good standing for themselves. But they also gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So sometimes serving is its own reward. And deacons, as they serve, they're being promised here by God that they'll develop an ever-deepening confidence in their relationship with Christ. Deaconing isn't easy. It's very difficult sometimes. Difficult relationally, difficult spiritually, difficult emotionally, difficult physically. But God sees and God knows. And it says, as they serve well, as verse 13 says, they're promised to grow in faith. And what a wonderful promise that is. God is so good in giving us the deacons that we have. So thank Allison and Dan and David and Katina and Katie and Lindsay and Megan and Nolan, Stephen and Tanyan and Tim and show them how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, and thank them for serving us. And finally, this morning, we'd be remiss if we didn't make the very clear connection here to Christ. Let me go back now to one of the first verses that we read this morning, and that's Mark 10, 45. It says that Jesus came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All of the character qualities of deacons are those of ordinary Christians. And Jesus perfectly exemplified those qualities. Jesus is worthy of respect. He's truthful, he's honest, he's moderate and disciplined, he's knowledgeable of the gospel. He's a tried and tested believer, because he's God, right? He's trustworthy in speech, he's clear in thought, he's faithful to himself, he's committed to his spouse, the church, committed even to the point of death, and he's faithful to those who have been entrusted to him. Jesus is the ultimate deacon. He is the one who served in the ultimate way. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He perfectly loves us. He perfectly serves us for now and for all eternity. And if you're a believer, that should cause us to worship him. That should cause us to desire to live our lives with these character qualities, to have these character qualities that are listed out, not out of obligation, but out of imitation, out of affection, out of a desire to glorify and honor and love him. And if you're not a believer who's here today, we love you and God loves you too. There's nothing more that he'd like to do than to serve you, to deacon you. We've all made a mess of our lives 
We've all made a mess of our lives that only a perfect servant could clean up. No one else wants to do that, and no one else could do that. He paid the ransom for you. And if you would just turn from your sin, turn to him, acknowledge him as Lord, trust him with your life, then he will serve you and he will save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for all of the deacons who have served us and continue to serve us. We thank you that you have gifted your church in general with with deacons, with, with servants. We thank you that you've given us enough flexibility in your word that we can structure our deacon body to best fit our needs. We thank you for Jesus, for the ultimate servants, servant, the one who sacrificed, the one who died for us and served us out of his great love for us. Father, we pray that we would honor your name as we all seek to show the godly character described in 1 Timothy 3. Help us to serve and to love you well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.